I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. My name is uh, Scott Brooks. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I have no idea why we hire tall pastors. <laughs> Never goes good for tall people in the Bible. King Saul was tall, not so good. <laughs> Goliath, tall guy, not so good. Killed by a short guy. Just, just saying. It's a fun part of just having the last word. You know what I mean? They don't get a mic. I can just keep going. So, uh. <laughs> oh, uh, last day school, right? Last week of school. Uh, I don't imagine there's any senior that is saying, "Oh man, if I could just have one more time, one more time in that classroom, one more time just in the hall, one more time just." sitting there, right? No, they're never saying that. But we do say one more time on other stuff, right? What's the things that you say one more time for? Like, I, I know for me, when, I, when I'm fishing, oh, just one more cast, just, just one more, just one more, right? Just one more cast, I'll catch a fish this time, right? Hunters, but just, just one more minute, one more minute in sub-freezing temperatures, freezing myself to death, but one more minute, because I just may, right? When you're on a date, just, oh, just one more minute together. <sighs> one more, just one more, right? Don't want to leave. Playing outside, it's dark, and mom's saying, come in. One more play, mom. One more play. One more shot. One more, like, what, what's your one more? We all have a one more, right? What's, what, what's your one more? Today we're looking at the, the life of Jesus and we're in the last moments of his three-year ministry, uh, public ministry uh, that John records. We're in the last moments. You think about three years culmination, we're getting to the last time, the last moment in the temple. Chapter 12 is this picture of those last moments. Chapter 13 starts his private ministry in, in the book of John, as it were. He goes into the upper room with the 12 disciples he's called, and it's just these chapters that are just this personal time with Jesus. It's not with the crowds. It's not the public ministry. And we're actually stopping the book of John here, uh, right here in May. We're going to pick it back up. Um, in September, the first Sunday in September. So we're going to take a three-year, three-year, three whatever, three-month break from John here over the summer and pick up the private ministry in John 13. But as we've been looking at these last chapters, and especially chapter 12, we've spent, this will be the third week we've been in chapter 12. We did the whole adoration and praise passage last week. We did uh, the verses that talked about these Greeks coming in and Jesus talking about what does it mean to follow me. And, and now we're in, and what we're going to do is just kind of take all of chapter 12 and, and summarize it. And what happens is in 12 is it's person after person crowd after crowd, encounter after encounter, and Jesus is in the middle of it, and Jesus is this foil or this, the main center stage, and everybody is reacting to Jesus. And it's all centered around belief or unbelief, belief or unbelief. 
And it just happens quickly through chapter 12. And so I'm just going to go through this and, and kind of paint this picture of what's happening in the last moments here of this three-year public ministry. And so it starts in chapter 12 um, with Mary, this powerful moment of belief in Jesus as the Savior and adoration, right? It's an incredible moment pours perfume out on him, and, and it's just powerful. Mary does believe. And yet in the same moment, there's this guy named Judas, one of the hand-picked 12 men that Jesus brought into his inner circle, and we find out that Judas, ah, he's in it for himself. It, it's, he doesn't believe. He doesn't believe at all. It's all about him and how he can use Jesus and get whatever he wants. He doesn't believe. And then we get to verse 11, or verse 9, rather, through 11, and, and we find out that the, there's a large crowd of Jews, and they learned that Jesus was there, and they came, not only on account of him there being the temple, right, there for the Passover week, they found out he was there, and they came, not only on account of him, but also they wanted to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And so you got the crowd, you don't know whether they believe or not, but they're coming because you know, how do you, how do you not come? How do you miss an opportunity to see some guy that was dead and now is alive? And then in verse 10, another group, the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. I mean, the poor guy can't win. Like he gets raised, he dies, gets raised to life. And now people want to kill him because he's raised back from the grave and he's got to die again. I mean, it's just like the poor guy. <laughs> The chief priests now make these plans to kill him. Why? Because there's so many Jews going towards Jesus, it says, right? They're, they're believing in Jesus. So now we see the crowds, they're believing in Jesus, and crowds are going to Jesus, and the chief priests, we see a different unbelief than just what we've experienced before. There is now, a, a, there's this saying of jealousy, and there's this saying of they want to kill Lazarus. There's this idea of suppression of anyone else who does believe. It's not only that they don't believe, that's not enough. They got to stop people from believing. And then we see in verse 12, down through uh, verse uh, 18, you see the crowds the next day after Jesus had been anointed, the next day they, they come and they praise Jesus and they start quoting Old Testament scriptures. And these are the people of Israel and they're saying, oh, this is the Messiah. Hosanna, Hosanna in the name of the highest, right? Blessed is who comes in the name of the Lord, the high king of Israel. So they're, they're quoting all these prophecies about the Messiah who will come and set everything straight and kick Rome out and blah, 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 blah. They, they believe in, in these prophetic passages and they believe in the Messiah that they want, but they may not believe in the Messiah who is. Nevertheless, they are proclaiming truth. They are proclaiming that which everyone should believe. And so that's going on. And then verse 19, wham, we're right into a middle, right, right back into another encounter here. And it's the Pharisees who were like these guys in charge of all the proper interpretations of, of the Bible or the Old Testament as they would have it. And, and they say this in 19, you see that we're gaining nothing. Look, the whole world's gone after him. More unbelief and now getting angrier and angrier because it's only getting worse. 
And then we found, and, and we studied this last week, some, some Greeks come, and the Greeks represented people who weren't part of the chosen nation of Israel, which has to go through the family line, through Abraham, all the way down, the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and these Greeks aren't part of that. They're, they're part of possibly even the location of what we would call Greece, that area. But it's part of a broader term of just people that weren't Israelites, right? So these Greeks are coming, and they're coming from lands that are way farther away. The, the epicenter is growing, right? The, the influence is growing, and so they're coming in, and they're saying, look, we want to see Jesus. We want to believe in Jesus, and they're actually there at this Passover because they do believe in God. And so you see these people who aren't, they don't even have the scriptures, they're not even part of Israel as the, as the nation and, and the literal descendants, right, the physical descendants, and yet they're believing and wanting to believe. And then in that moment, it's the trigger that we talked about where Jesus says, the hour has come. And then he says in verse 7, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Like he says, I'm overwhelmed because I know what's coming, but nobody knows it. He's like, my soul is troubled. You ever have those seasons where your soul is so troubled? It's like, so weighed down, so heavy. You either, you, you can't get out of bed or you're, you're I mean, we call it depressed. Like you, you can't even barely move because it's so difficult. Or maybe you can't even sleep because you can't stop thinking about all of it. And, and that's Jesus. And he says, what should I say? Like, Father, save me from this hour. He's talking to himself and the Father and, and yet, He's like, I can't, right? The purpose I came is for this hour. Father, glorify your name. And, and, and we see in this moment Jesus wrestling, wrestling with this, and yet saying, Father, glorify your name. And into this moment comes the voice of God. And it says, a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. In verse 29, the crowd that stood there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus, is, Jesus answered and said, this, this voice came for your sake. It wasn't for me. And in this moment, we get the last sign of God the Father for Jesus in his public ministry not the private ministry and not what goes on, but the public ministry. This is the last time, and it's just the Father is saying one more time, just one more time, and he speaks. And Jesus, Jesus knows that's not for him, it's for everyone else who's around there, which I love that, that fa the Father, even in the middle of all this belief, and at the end of these three years, and you're still seeing people not only not believe, but wanting to suppress others who believe, the Father is still thundering. The Father's still speaking, and, and some people, they, they can't believe, they, can't, they don't have spiritual ears, so all they hear is thunder. But those who have the spiritual ears hear. Those who want to believe hear the Father. It was another sign that led them to belief. And Jesus goes on, and he says this in verse 31, 
He says, now is the judgment of the world. So here we go with timing again. Jesus is saying, it's not the time, it's not the hour, it's not the hour, it's not the time. It hasn't come yet. And now we've seen it in verse 23. The hour has come. Now we see it in verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. Now we see it in verse 20, 31. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. It's time. And I love this moment. Because Jesus says this, and, and nobody really understands what's happening, but you got to know Jesus has been waiting for this moment and this line for a long time. Now's the time we're going to start settling the score. The ruler of this world will be cast out. There was this guy who followed Jesus. If you're kind of new to this whole thing of like, what's Jesus and following him and the Bible, later on there's this guy who hated Jesus and ends up meeting Jesus on this road, totally radically changes his life. He ends up writing a lot of the New Testament. His name's Paul. And there's this one moment where he's writing this church in this city called Colossae. And he says, Jesus Christ triumphed over Satan and his kingdom by the cross, right? He triumphed over them, totally embarrassing and disarming the powers and the rulers because of the cross. So as he, he's looking back, explaining what happened when Jesus is on here, and Jesus is saying right now, I am going to cast down the ruler of this world. How? When I am lifted up from the earth. And I'll draw all people to myself. And John explains and says, hey, this is what Jesus was saying. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And so what happens in the moment where Jesus is, is being even more clear about what's going to happen, the crowd starts going, what? So the crowd answered him, we, we've heard from the law that the, that the Christ, the Messiah, remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Like, they, they kind of get it. There's some kind of thing where he's going away. Who is this Son of Man? And Jesus said to them, doesn't answer their question the way they wanted answered. He just says, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light. Believe in the light so that you may become sons of the light. So, of course, in the middle of this, this crowd that was just saying, Hosanna in the highest, blessed are you come in the name of the Lord, is now saying, well, wait a minute, you're not, you're not, no, that's, no, that doesn't work because that's not how we've been taught and that's not the way the scripture says, like, we know how this Bible is supposed to be interpreted, it's supposed to go this way, and, and that's like, no. And so they don't believe. They stop believing. Jesus didn't fit their interpretation. They just stopped even doubting and just moved full on into unbelief. There's no way you can be the Messiah. Which led John then to quote these things where he said, Jesus, when he said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. The close of a chapter Though he had done so many signs before him, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who's believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, 
He has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. So Isaiah comes along, and Isaiah is this prophet, famous prophet. There's actually a book in the Old Testament written, and the name of that book is called Isaiah, and it's his prophecies that God gave him. And Isaiah was talking to God, and he was saying this, like, he's coming to Israel saying, Israel, you've got to turn back to God. Start believing in God. Restore obedience and the vows that you have made with God as a nation. And, and Israel's like, we don't want anything to do with it. We don't believe in God. We're done with God kind of thing. And that's why Isaiah writes this, like, who's believing this? Who's believing this? And then he goes on and he says this, he, you know, they could not believe. That there's a progression like they don't believe and then there's a progression into they cannot believe anymore. Why? Because it says that God hardened their hearts. He made it so their eyes couldn't see the spiritual things and their ears wouldn't hear the spiritual truth so that they could be healed. And, and that raises up a question, right? Like, wh- wh- what do you mean? Like, they, they chose not to believe but now they don't even have a chance to believe? Like, what, what does that mean? And how you answer this and where you start, your logic is important. So if you start and you think that's so unfair of God to make it impossible for somebody to believe in him, like how fair is that? So if you start with the average person and the way this world looks at the average person, the world looks at people and says, hey, look, uh, you know, everybody's trying to do good. Most of the people in the world, they're not trying to kill people and they're not trying to do bad things. They're not going, you know, and getting sentenced to life in prison for all this kind of horrible stuff. They're just good people, right? Just trying to make more good, do more good than, than bad. Like have the, the balance of that scale way more for good. So why in the world would God do that? That doesn't seem fair. And I, I get it. If you start from that vantage point and you start from people and the way the world looks at people, yeah, I get why you'd say that. If you start from the Bible and the way God looks at people, it goes a different direction. Because how the Bible looks at people is we're made in the image of God. There's an, in, you can't even put a, quant, you can't quantify the value of a life. You just can't. Made in the image of God. Our worth comes from God. And yet, as you read through this there's, this, there's this nature that's passed down to everyone. Everyone has this nature that's, that just rebels against God and says, no, I'm going to call the shot. I don't, care. I don't care what his word says. Like, whatever. I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do, and God's not going to tell me what to do. That nature leads us to sin, which is basically to miss. It's a, a Greek word that says to miss the mark of pure righteousness. Everyone misses the mark. Everyone does. And because God is righteous, pure, he says, look, I've got to, I, I can't leave this unpunished. I have to punish this. I have to judge this and call this evil. And there's a judgment that comes with that. And the problem is the judgment is eternal death. Everyone faces it. We all... We all not only have that nature, but we all have chosen to rebel. And so what God does is he comes to us, and, and, and what you see this is, is God came to Israel, and he's like, look, come back, come back. He's giving chances, and he's giving chances, right? One more time, one more time, one more time, one more time. 
Here's another chance. Here's another chance. And these people keep saying, no, 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 no. And finally, it gets to this point where why does God harden their hearts? There's two things that happen in this moment. God is saying, I am going to give you exactly what you want. Life without me for eternity. You can have it. He's not doing something that they don't want. He's doing something exactly what they've been asking and wanting all along. I don't want God. And God says in that moment, in that moment while someone is still living in this context, while somebody's still alive, he is also doing the second thing, which is he is pronouncing a judgment that typically waits until we die. And he's pronouncing it in that moment and saying, from here on out, you have this life and there's no going back anymore. You can have it. Your future is locked forever. It's a sobering moment. And, and why does he come to this? That there is this piece of it's not only just unbelief. Romans talks about the wrath of God. The anger of God is, is being shown or shown against people who not only are filled with godlessness and wickedness, but who suppress the truth who suppress the truth and don't want anyone else to believe. And that's where you see God coming in and saying, that's it. But there's something that happens here. Even as you look at this, there's this another quick episode at the end where Even after saying this, you have these religious, spiritual people, the authorities, you find out, we find out, right? They they actually believed in Jesus. The ones who knew the scriptures, they believe in Jesus, but they won't do anything about it. It says they they love the glory that came from men, from women. Couldn't stand the thought of being kicked out losing everything that they had. Believed, and yet their belief was just snuffed out because of what they loved. And there's something that happens here at the end that it caught me off guard, and I forgot to do this in the first service. If you're listening on podcasts, I'm going to get a chair. Um, So I forgot to do this as poor planning. So one of the things that that happens here at the end is uh, John, you know, he had just said Jesus like just hid himself and, and kind of got away from everything. He did, but yet John says, but he's not done with the story. There's still this, this one moment here before Jesus does it. And it startled me when I read it and I just kind of kept reading it and going, oh, wow. How did I never see that? Jesus has, imagine this scene, right? Jesus has this large crowd. This is in the courtyard. It's about, um, it's 1,600 feet by 900 feet. So it's about 15 football fields inside this courtyard. It's a big courtyard. Could fit around 70,000 people. This is Passover week. This place is packed with people. And I want you to imagine that. You're packed with the crowds. The crowds are right there who have just, the crowds who just finished saying, you know, earlier in the day, oh, we believe in you, we believe in you, you're the Messiah. And now they've just said, you're not the Messiah. 
And you've got the spiritual leaders there who are, who are just filled with malice, want to kill him, want to, want to destroy him, want to stamp out anyone who believes in him. And yet you have this, this shrinking crowd of people who do believe in him. Can you, can you imagine the scene? Can you hear the noise of the crowd? Can you imagine Jesus is at the end and he's saying, now is the time, now is the time, now is the time. His heart's heavy, right? His heart's grieving. He knows what's to come and he's resolved to bring glory to the Father and to obey. So you've got all of that going on in Jesus. This is it. This is the last moment of his public ministry. And what does he do in this last moment? And I think, I think it's something like this. Like he's trying to get up and he's, he's going to try to see everyone he can. And it says this, and you'll have to turn me down because you've got to think about Jesus, right, in this moment. It's one more time, Father. Just one more time. Just let me say it one more time. Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me, Believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I don't judge him. I didn't come in the world, but to save the world. I didn't come to the world to judge, but I came to save. The one who rejects me, and does not receive my words, has a judge. That word I have spoken will judge him on the last day, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but I have the, the Father who sent me himself, has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. I know that this commandment is eternal life. Whatever I say, therefore I say as the Father has told me. One more time, Father, just, just, just one more time. One more time. That, that's our God. One more time. Anyone need to hear that today? Anyone need to hear that, that Jesus is this God of one more time? Just, just one more time, shouting it. I wonder if he saw people and connected to people eye to eye in that crowd and said, I know you're going to believe. You're hearing me. Today, you're hearing me. Is there anyone here in this room, anyone online, and Jesus is, is talking and he's saying, oh, just one more time, I'm going to reach him. Because he hasn't stopped. He hasn't stopped. He keeps saying one more time. One more time. Anyone here today need to hear if you're covered in darkness, if you feel like darkness is just like over you and consuming you, you can't break free, you need to hear maybe one more time today and it's just this is the time. Like he's the light. He is pure light. Anyone need to hear like he is life, like your life feels like death and you can't ever get a break and everything that you look at in the near future is nothing but just dust, dirt, 
death. And, and you need to hear Jesus say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You need to hear this. I'm life. I'm life. Believe in me. Anyone need to hear him say, I don't judge. I didn't come to judge. I love this moment. Jesus tells him, I didn't come to judge. I came to forgive. I came to save. I'm not here to judge. So the last thing he wanted to do was judge. And if you don't believe that, look at the cross. The last thing Jesus wanted to do when he came was to judge. He wanted to save. One more. Just one more. Just one more. Let's pray. Do you hear Jesus calling you? Do you hear him this morning saying, believe? It's time to believe. Do you hear him saying, look, I'm not here to fight. I'm here to call you to believe. I'm not here to fight. I'm here to call you to life to bring forgiveness and to bring healing. Do you hear him talking to you? Because if you do, he wants to heal you. And it's not just a physical healing, it's a spiritual healing. And just tell him, Jesus, I'm ready to believe. I'm just ready to believe. I'm ready. I don't even know what all it means, but you can call the shots. I'm ready to believe. Do you know what it means in your heart? Do you know what he is calling you to, to believe and to look at your life and say, oh, Jesus, I need you to forgive me and save me. Jesus, for everyone here who's hearing, I pray, just your words here, I just release your light on everyone here, your light that no darkness can withstand. So any lie that someone is in this room thinking or has been fed that thinks there's just no way this darkness can end, in the name of Christ it ends because he is light. You have already made a public spectacle of Satan and his kingdom. You triumphed over him by the cross and we just say your light wins today. Your hope wins today. Your grace. Jesus, thank you so much that you still say one more time. I think we all just say thank you. Send us out, Jesus, with you. Send us out with you. Amen.